I greet you in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's lovely to be here, and it nearly never happened. <laughs> Just a little over a week ago, our office was struggling to, to fill the tour for me. Dear Rob and Jenny got to hear that uh, we were just not able to fill specifically the Sunday morning. And they got into action, and the brother Keith and Pastor Billy very kindly uh, opened uh, the opportunity for me to come and do a seminar yesterday and this morning. And so it's a blessing to be here, and I'm telling you, I've had opposition. on Wednesday morning, I took the bus from Langevin to Cape Town and Uber to the airport. And halfway to the airport on the N2, we hit a massive lump of concrete uh, in the middle of the, the N2. Anyway, no major mechanical damage, so they got me to the airport. Got to King Shaka, to the rental company. They wouldn't rent me a car because my license had expired. So that was, my, that was my foolishness, not the devil, but uh, had, it caught, caught me completely off guard. And then I th- got that all sorted out, it's a long story, but then up to driving to Richards Bay on Friday, halfway there, massive blowout on the end too. And, uh, but anyway, God is sovereign, absolutely sovereign, and we can just rest in Him and uh, trust in his wonderful mercy and grace in our lives. And so, a real blessing to be here back in my old hometown. I left 39 years ago uh, for the good reasons. Uh, I met a young lady here in Hillcrest, and her parents tried to get her away from me, took her to Cape Town, but I followed three months later, and uh, I've been in Cape Town ever since. And a joy to come and speak to you here on the subject of Origins. Um, A subject that raises many, many questions in people's minds. Where do the races come from? Uh, uh, Why don't we find dinosaurs in the Bible? We actually do. Uh, We dealt with that yesterday. Why does a loving God allow suffering and death? Uh, Who made God? All these kinds of questions that we get on a regular basis. And as a ministry, Creation Ministries International, we try and answer these questions. Because the Apostle Peter said that as believers... We should be preparing or equipping ourselves to give a defense, an apologetic for the reason for our faith and our hope. And, and so we try and equip believers to answer these very important questions. Creation Ministries International, we've got offices in seven countries around the world. We've got about 13 uh, uh, PhD scientists working for us full-time in different parts, and then a number also supporting us in academia and in the workplace, they're a tiny majority, a minority, uh, but we're very grateful to have them. And we share this information through uh, various mediums like our, our website, creation.com, fantastic website. It's got about 13,000 articles going back about 30 years of creation research, powerful search engine, topical index, anything you can think of. I think to do with origins, you'll find many articles on that website. We've also got our, uh, a strong social media presence. And then our Infobytes, it's, a, it's an email list that we keep. Uh, and if there's something going on in the scientific world, very soon one of our writers, often a scientist, will write an article and we send that out to our mailing list. It's free. Any of you here like free stuff? Yeah, most of us, okay. 
And if you, in a moment, uh, we're going to pass around some sign-up sheets. And if you'd like to sign up to our data, our, our email list, you're welcome to. Just your name, your email address, and your postal code so we know more or less what part of the country you're in. So I've got two victor, I mean, uh, volunteers, if I could ask them to just come to the front and hand those around. And just feel free to pass them along. My message is called The Gospel is in Genesis. And I want to say, I'm not saying that you've got to believe in a historical, plain reading of Genesis in order to be saved. We're saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Amen. But what I am going to try and show you this morning is how even the, the theology, the doctrine of salvation is founded in the soils of a historical literal Genesis. And let's look at the gospel given by Jesus Christ himself to Nicodemus. He said, for God so loved the world. And I think, you know, all of us, even Christians sometimes, we can wonder, does God really love us? We live in a broken world, don't we? And sometimes we can wonder, does God really love us? But you know, he created us to love. He made us male and female in his image, Genesis tells us. We're not God, but he's made us something like himself so that he can pour out his love on us. And because we can recognize his attributes, we can love him in return. It's because we created in the image of God that we love and sing and write music and poetry, and invent things, and paint things, and do all the incredible things that set us apart uniquely from the animal kingdom, because we are created in the image of God. And you know, that belief system was at the very heart, the very foundation of the Western world. And there are many unbelievers that actually recognize this. One example, Jürgen Habermas, an influential German uh, philosopher, he made this statement, egalitarian universalism, ideas of freedom, social solidarity, autonomous conduct of life, emancipation, individual morality of conscience, human rights, and democracy is the direct legacy of the Judaic ethic of justice and the Christian ethic of love. Everything else is idle, postmodern talk. He comes from a Marxist background, he's not a believer, but he recognizes that the Judeo-Christian worldview is at the very foundation of the Western society, Western civilization, and the wheels are rapidly coming off. Played a massive, that view of mankind had a huge impact in our country as well. People like Albert Latuli and Chief or Chief Albert Latuli and others like Robert Subukwe. Latuli said, I was sport by being made in the image of God. His devout belief system comes out over and over again in his memoirs, Let My People Go. How did he know that? From the Bible. Cre uniquely created in the image of God, and therefore he had equality with his fellow men. But that belief system began to be severely eroded a couple of hundred years ago. Charles Darwin, after publishing uh, Origin of Species, in 1871 published another book called The Descent of Man. And in it he said things like this, at some future period not very distant, the civilized races of man will almost certainly exterminate 
and replace the savage races. And those ideas began to permeate the Western world. They were at the heart of much of the white supremacist movement and many of the genocides, including Southwest Africa, of, of the 20th century. And they culminated in the horrors of the Second World War and the genocide against Jews and gypsies and homosexuals and people with disabilities. And it was only after the Second World Wars, as, the world, as evolutionary scientists saw where this was all heading, that thank God they took a step back from the racist implications of Darwinism and evolution. But you know, based upon evolution, our sense of who we really are and who our neighbors are hasn't improved much. Francis Crick, the co-discoverer of the double helix structure of DNA, the DNA molecule of life, along with Watson, said this, you, your joys, sorrows, memories, ambitions, sense of personal identity and free will are in fact no more than the behavior of a vast assembly of nerve cells and your associated molecules. Who you are is nothing but a pack of neurons. We've gone from being created in the image of God to nothing but a pack of neurons. And folk, that, that worldview has an influence on every one of us through the media, but especially our young people through education. And it's having a devastating impact on lives, on culture. Here's some classmates speaking between classes, and he says to her, you seem a bit down. Your science class went on for ages. What happened? Teacher said, we're nothing special. We came from pond scum. We're just evolved apes. So other friend asked, what are they teaching in your next class? Self-esteem. Now, do you see the disconnect there? We should be telling, teaching our young people to have a healthy respect for themselves and for others. But we're also teaching them that we got here by this random process of random mutations, time, chance, natural selection, survival of the fittest, elimination of the weak. So what is the foundation of the value of humankind if that's where we came from? And of course, this is impacting the church massively as well. This is just one of many, many surveys. But Southern Baptist Council on Family Life found that 88% of children raised in evangelical homes now leave the church at the age of 18, never to return. And folks, these aren't other people's children. They're our churches as well. So doesn't science tell us that evolution is true and the Big Bang is true and therefore if we're Christians, we have to somehow fit those ideas into the Bible. But that's getting things the wrong way around. This claims hundreds of times to be the inspired word of God. We shouldn't be fitting those things into the Bible. We should be evaluating these constantly changing ideas of men in the light of the scriptures. But let's look at the science and see what the science really tells us. And most definitions of science go something like this. It's the things that we get to know about this amazing universe in which we live based upon observation and experiment. Observation and experiment. 
science that is repeatable, testable. doesn't matter whether a scientist is a, a Christian or an atheist. They'll do the same experiments, make the same observations, and broadly get the same results. This is the science that put, we would call it operational or experimental science. Put men on the moon, gave us cell phones and iPads and Eskim and uh, uh, wonderful advances in medical technology, things like magnetic resonance imaging. Who here has had an MRI scan? Hands up. Uh, hands all over the place. 40, 50, 60% of every church I speak in. That's a malignant tumor I had removed from my leg about six years ago. The primary inventor of that technology was a Dr. Raymond Damadian, a Bible-believing, creation-believing medical scientist. So don't let anybody ever tell you that it is unscientific to believe in biblical creation. But that comes out of this wonderful field of operational or experimental or observational science. But there's another broad category of the way science is done today, and that's historical or origin science. It's looking at evidence in the present, and everybody's got the same evidence. We've got the same cells and mountains and canyons and valleys, and trying to reconstruct the origin of something, the history of something. And we cannot go back into the past and conduct the scientific method of experiment and observation in the past. Nobody's invented a time machine. And so we look at the evidence and we try and reconstruct the past based upon our belief system, our worldview, our faith. And there are many evolutionists that also recognize this. Somebody like Darren Curnow. Uh, Professor Darren Curnow, an Australian paleoanthropologist, he's an evolutionist, on a TV program on human origins a few years ago, he said this, nobody looks at a fossil with a completely open mind. To some extent, we see what we think. So you come to a fossil, you've got an idea about the way you think human evolution worked, and the first thing you do is try and fit that fossil into your worldview. Because you see, the evidence doesn't speak for itself. All right? We interpret the evidence based upon our belief system. And... The belief system of science today, and science, modern science didn't begin like this, but the belief system today is philosophical naturalism. No God allowed. Everything has to be explained by natural and material causes. And that belief system gave rise to this interpretation of the geological column, the fossil record. And the idea that somehow, hundreds of millions of years ago, chemicals got together, formed the first uh, living organism, some kind of simple, single-celled organism, and over hundreds of millions of years, that evolved into more and more complex creatures with man coming on the scene right at the end of that process. Folks, that is not science. It's driven by a belief system. The same belief system that gave rise to this iconic image. You see it everywhere. Go to the cradle of humankind at Maripeng. You see it, that depiction. And it's different to that, but all over the place. There are evolutionists that say it is misleading and inaccurate. It should never be used. Why do you see it everywhere? Because it is so powerful. 
an indoctrination tool to make people believe that evolution is true and that we've evolved from these ape-like ancestors. It is not science. It's driven by a philosophy, by a belief system. And there's been no more powerful image than that that has removed us from our sense of being created in God's image and from the love of God. But God loves us. He so loves us that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So that brings the question, why are we perishing? Why is there suffering and death on an unimaginable scale in the world? And that is the challenge of many of your atheists to Christianity. If you believe in the loving, all-powerful God of the Bible, why is there all the suffering and death in the world? Is it a good question? Absolutely. Absolutely, it's a good question. And as believers, the Bible gives us answers to these questions, these challenges. The Bible tells us when Paul taught on this, he says, just as sin came into the world through one man. Who's that one man? Adam. And suffering and death through sin. So according to Paul, what came first, suffering and death or sin? Sin came first and suffering and death followed. If that interpretation of the geological column, and we find fossils in that column, is true. It means suffering and death existed for hundreds of millions of years before any possible date for Adam and his sin. When God, and all Paul is doing there, he's going back to the history in Genesis, where we read that God in six days created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in them, and the sea and everything that is in them, Exodus chapter 20 as well. When he had finished his creation, including Adam and Eve, he looked at that finished creation and he said, it is very good. Now, if that interpretation of the fossil record is true, it means that by the time God had finished creating, including Adam and Eve, he was looking at a record of hundreds of, of millions of years of death, suffering, cancer, carnivory, disease, and God looked at that and said, it is very good. doesn't matter what our belief system, if we lose a loved one or even a loved pet, our hearts tell us it's not meant to be that way. There's something wrong. And our hearts are right. God also tells us there's something wrong. It's not the way he made this world Back in Eden, he gave a herbivorous diet to the animals. He gave a vegetarian diet to Adam. He said to Adam, go wild. Enjoy the fruits of the trees and this wonderful creation that I have prepared for you. But as a moral being created in God's image, God gave Adam one restriction. To not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we know the terrible history. Eve, deceived by Satan, she took and ate of that tree. And the warning was that if you, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Or dying, you shall surely die. Eve took of it. She gave to Adam. He ate of it. They immediately, there was a spiritual death. They, their relationship they had enjoyed with their creator was severed. And they began to die physically as well. But 
And so suffering and death is a consequence. It came after Adam's sin. But you might think, well, what about the fossils? Don't fossils take millions of years to form and therefore suffering and death must have existed long before Adam? Well, let's look at the fossils. This is a picture from a biology textbook in Australia. Our grade 12s are taught something very similar. And, and you see a fish swimming in the water. It dies, sinks to the bottom. It's covered in silt. That happens over and over again. And look in the background here. High mountains there, they're almost totally eroded away. The story being told is that fossilization takes place over vast periods of time. Does that reflect reality? Any of you here done scuba diving, snorkeling? Few of you, hands going up. Ever seen thousands of dead creatures lying on the bottom of the ocean waiting to be covered in mud? No, nor have I. It just doesn't reflect reality. When creatures die, especially in the ocean, they bloat, they float, scavengers eat them, they decay, and in a short space of time, there's nothing left of them. So what do we need for fossils to occur? Well, firstly, we need a healthy living organism. An animal, a, a fish, a bird, a dinosaur, a mammal, reptile. We need that animal to be suddenly trapped in a mortar of mud and minerals to keep out the oxygen, keep out bacteria and the scavengers and allow enough time for permineralization, for fossilization to occur. Some fossils are totally permineralized. All of your biological material is replaced with minerals. Basically, they're rocks. I'll, I'll hand this ammonite fossil around for you to, to have a look at. There we go. Uh, some fossils are partly permineralized and uh, some not permineralized at all. Homer Naledi, just bone. He was very famous in 2015, and then two years later, he was humiliatingly demoted, but uh, just bone. So the, it's not the real thing. It's a plastic version. They wouldn't, they wouldn't trust me with the real one. So hand that around. So let's put on our Bible glasses and ask ourselves the question, which historical event in the Bible gives us an amazing understanding of why it is that we find billions and billions of dead things buried in rock layers that have been laid down by water all over the earth. Vast fossil fields on every continent, including Antarctica. We live in Langebaan. If you're ever in the area, visit the West Coast Fossil Park. It's fascinating. But put on, it'll all be interpreted in terms of millions of years, but put on your Bible glasses and it makes far better sense of the evidence. The fossils of marine invertebrates going right to the very tip of Mount Everest. Which event in the Bible helps us to fully understand that? The flood. Where we read that after the fall, after God's curse, about 1,600 years after creation, in response to ongoing rebellion, sinfulness, sexual perversion, some kind of demonic activity, God sent this year-long, catastrophic judgment flood of Noah's day. And we read in scriptures that not only did it pour with rain globally for 40 days and 40 nights, but all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. And that process continued for 150 days. Earthquakes, tsunamis, pyroclastic flows, volcanoes, the release of underground water, steam, ash, mud, 
magma, lava. And we read that every land-living, air-breathing animal and bird and mankind, except for those on the ark with Noah, perished in that dreadful judgment flood of Noah's day. And so the Bible gives us just an amazing understanding of the fossil record. There are no processes going on in the earth today that can fully explain the fossil record. And some fossils are really fascinating. Here's a, uh, an extinct uh, mother ichthyosaur, an extinct marine reptile. And why do I call her a mother? She's been fossilized in the, pro in the process of giving birth. It's a two-meter-long fossil. Evidently, there are the remains of another two babies in her rib cage there. Now, if fossilization is something that takes thousands of years, have any of you mothers had protracted labor? <laughs> it's like a snapshot, isn't it? An instant in time, so clear that it must have been a rapid, catastrophic event to preserve that detail in that fossil. And there are millions and millions of fossils preserved like that. Evolutionists are always looking for transitional fossils. There are a handful of claimed transitional fossils today. Fossils of creatures in between uh, your major groups of animals. For example, uh, between uh, land-living mammals and whales, in between amphibians and reptiles and so on. A number of years ago, National Geographic did a 10-page full-color article promoting Archaeoraptor as a transitional fossil of a creature in between uh, reptiles and birds. Well, guess what? It was discovered sometime later that Archaeoraptor was made in China. Some enterprising Chinaman had taken five different fossils, pieced them together, sold them to a scientist. I hope he got lots of money. And uh, now it was later recognized that this was a fraud. And National Geographic printed a small re retraction. But what I'm trying to show you is the incredibly subjective nature of interpreting the evidence about the past. Many scientists had looked at that fossil, and they believed it to be what they hoped it was, would be, confirmation bias. It's not the science that it makes itself out to be. Fossils are mainly a result of that dreadful flood of Noah's day and the suffering and death that we see portrayed there is as a result and after Adam's sin and the curse. What about your radioisotope dating methods? Don't they prove that some fossils are millions of years old, some rocks are billions of years old? There are these radio decay processes going on in rocks and in some fossils. The decay of uranium to lead, potassium to argon, rubidium to strontium, argon, argon, uh, your, your carbon decay process. There are many, many of these processes. Some of them support the biblical chronogenealogies of a few thousand years. Some of them seem to support the Big Bang chronology of billions of years. But all of these methods, whether they support the Bible or the Big Bang, are based on this set of principles. I'm going to test your maths. See if you're still awake. Let's say you walk into a bathroom, you open the bathroom door, walk inside, you immediately see there's 100 liters of water in the bathtub, and the tap is running at 10 liters per minute. 
How long has that process been going on for? Thank you. (laughs) Your maths is correct. But let's ask ourselves the question, how did we arrive at that result? What assumptions did we use in order to get that result? For example, was the bathtub half empty or half full, depending on your personality, when that process started? We weren't there. We don't know. Was water removed or added during that process? We weren't there. We don't know. Did the flow rate increase or decrease or was it even turned off? We weren't there. We don't know. We, you're not there in the past. You can only observe and measure these processes in the present. And based upon your untestable assumptions about the past, you then come up with the result. All of your dating methods are based on those kinds of untestable assumptions. There is only one accurate way of dating something back in history, and that is an eyewitness account. And God gives us an eyewitness account of the, of the six days of creation up to Adam. And then from Adam, we've got these genealogies, how old Adam was, 130, when Seth was born, and how old Seth was when his son was born. In the line of Christ, going all the way up to Jesus, who we know historically lived a couple of thousand years ago. And so we know how old the universe is from the Bible, a few thousand years old. And we can absolutely trust the Bible. Can we trust these dating methods? Well, let's see. This has been done many times over the past 30 years or so. Just one example, Mount St. Helens, a catastrophic eruption in 1980 in Washington State. In 19, that formed that big crater. In 1986, there was a smaller eruption that formed that lava dome in the center there. And once that lava had solidified, cooled into rock, uh, 10 years later, scientists went and took samples from that lava dome, sent them off to a secular radioisotope dating laboratory who used the potassium argon dating method. It's a very common dating method. And they got results back of between 350,000 to 2.8 million years old for rocks that were 10 years old at the time. So folks, if we cannot trust these dating methods for rocks of known age, there's absolutely no reason to trust them for rocks of unknown age. Every reason to take God at his word. But you know, there are... Over the last couple of hundred years, well-meaning, often godly Christians being intimidated by the claims being made in the name of science have tried to fit millions of years and or evolution into the Bible. They've developed all sorts of schemes. None of them work. They keep on having to come up with new schemes. The current one is evolutionary creation or creative evolution. That's the the current popular, popular one. They don't work scientifically, and they certainly don't work biblically. And you know, many of you atheists know this. Jerry Coyne, atheist biology professor, he said attempts to reconcile God and evolution keep rolling off the intellectual assembly line. It never stops because the reconciliation never works. Let's just look at one reason why it doesn't work biblically. The word day... In Genesis chapter 1, the the Hebrew yom, 
is described for us. So it can mean different things, just like in English, depending on the context. But the way in which it's used in Genesis chapter 1, this is how it's described to us. A period of light and darkness, a period of night and day, evening and morning with a number, one day, second day, third day, fourth day, and day with a number. That's how the word yom is described in Genesis chapter 1. If we look outside of Genesis chapter 1, when it's used in the same way, day with a number is used 410 times, it's always taken to mean an ordinary day. Evening and morning, without the word day, 38 times, always means an ordinary day. Evening and morning, with day, 23 times, always means an ordinary day. Night with day, 52 times, always means an ordinary day. So why do we try and make the word day in Genesis chapter 1 mean something else? Because we're intimidated by these claims being made in the name of science. And it's not science, it's a, a belief system. Suffering and death followed from Adam's sin and wasn't the way God created the world. God so loved us, he gave his only begotten son. He didn't leave us in the sorry state. God sent his son to, to die. To die as our substitute on the cross. God, show love, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's think about this. If that evolutionary interpretation of the fossil record is true, it means that suffering and death on an unimaginable scale has existed for hundreds of millions of years, which means that suffering and death is not a consequence of sin. Why then did Jesus have to suffer and die on the cross for our sin? That just doesn't make sense. In fact, that means that God used suffering and death to create. That's not the God that I know. So Christ came into the world to put right what had gone wrong through Adam. In Genesis chapter 3, the Lord God made coverings, garments of skins for Adam and Eve as they feeling the guilt and trying to hide their nakedness. God gave them a covering of skins, not of cotton. God could have. Covering of skins. That means that something had to die. The blood of an innocent animal was shed in God's love to provide this temporary covering for their sin. And looking forward to the day where God would send the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice for our sin. As in Adam all die. Anybody here not dying this morning? That's a cheery thought this Sunday morning, isn't it? <laughs> Sorry to break the bad news to you, but we're all in Adam. And uh, programmed cell death, apoptosis, it's already be beginning in the developing unborn embryo. But the good news is that in Christ, all that believe and put their faith and trust in him shall be made alive. So you see the Adam, Christ, the unbreakable link between a historical Adam and Jesus Christ. The first Adam became a living being. We're all descended physically from the first Adam. The last Adam, Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. We're born again by the Spirit of God and are indwelt by the Holy Spirit 
through faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There are scientists, Christians like Francis Collins, very well-known Christian, well-known scientist. He, he, he says he's a Christian. I take his word for it. He says Adam and Eve never existed, just mythical creatures. We've come from these ape-like ancestors over hundreds of thousands of years. He's been in the news recently and not for good reasons. So tell me, which Adam is not essential to the gospel? The first Adam, can we do away with him without undermining the gospel and the doctrine of the last Adam, Jesus Christ? So why does Francis Collins believe that? Well, he believes that the information for life, for a creature to evolve, so he's a theistic evolutionist, for a creature to evolve from a, the, the first organism into something as complex as a horse, that that information comes about through evolution, process of evolution. And what do we mean by information to go, the DNA, the information, the DNA to go from that to the DNA of a horse to go to something like that. Well, let's do a thought experiment chat. Let's say you've got a bowl of soup like this, alphabet soup. You'd think nothing of it. Somebody just randomly threw a handful of alphabet noodles into the soup. But what did you think if you got a bowl of soup like that? What did you think? In fact, what would you know if you got a bowl of soup like that? You would know somebody did it you would know that the properties of water and pasta and vegetables could never possibly, by chance, arrange those symbols that code together into a sequence to convey information. Information. That is what we mean by information. You would have known that somebody intelligent must have done that. And of course, the most intelligent person in the universe after God is... Mom, you got it. <laughs> and she's, she's telling you, enjoy my soup, but make sure you wash the dishes when you're finished. So we're looking at about 20 bits of code there, arranged into a sequence to give information, a recipe, uh, instructions, and we instinctively know that could never have happened by chance. What about the 3.2 billion bits of information in every single one of the trillions of cells of the human body, in the nuclei of every one of the trillions of cells in the human body, giving arranged in a sequence, this molecular language, arranged in an exact sequence to give the instructions, the information, the recipe for the cell to carry out those instructions and build the wonders of life, including the human body. Francis Collins believes that that new information to go from simple to complex comes about through random mutations. Copying errors in the handing down of genetic information from generation to generation. Mutations occur. All of us sitting here, we've got millions of mutations in our cells. There are mechanisms that kind of override them, but we're heading to error catastrophe. They, they're kind of neutral. Some of them, of course, are extremely harmful. Francis Collins and others believe that every once in a while that information conveys new, original 
more complex information. Part of that same worldview 20 years ago was the idea of junk DNA, that about 98% of our DNA didn't code for proteins. They were just leftover vestigial junk from our evolutionary history. Pseudogenes was part of that idea. And Francis Collins, on that basis, believes no Adam and Eve, just mythical creatures. God used evolution to create. That God used this process that brings debilitating suffering and disease in order to create. That's the engine of evolution for neo-Darwinists. You know, back even in 2003, there were scientists like Professor Mac and John Mattick at uh, in Australia, University of Queensland, saying that this idea of junk DNA may well go down as one of the biggest mistakes in the history of molecular biology. You see, back then, we just didn't know what all the DNA said, what all the information was. And in their hubris, scientists wrote it off as junk. Scientists are up to date to about 80% function in human DNA, and they believe they'll probably get to close to 100% functionality as we begin to know more and more the incredible complexity, the layer upon layer of information, feedback mechanisms, control mechanisms, DNA, information in four dimensions in DNA, three dimensions plus time, information changing over time, absolutely remarkable. We come from Adam. Suffering and death is because of sin. And Jesus Christ came into the world to set us free from the bondage to sin and death. Back in Genesis 3 again, God said that he would put enmity between the Satan and woman and that the, the seed of, of the woman would crush the head of the seed of Satan. Who is that? Jesus Christ. The God-man who came to die on the cross for us. In the Gospel of Matthew, we're given his uh, legal ancestry through his legal father, Joseph. In the Gospel of Luke, we're given his biological ancestry through his mother, Mary, the seed of the woman, going all the way back through Mary's line, back to Adam and Eve that he could represent every single one of us as our family redeemer, our kinsman redeemer, paying suffering and dying on the cross for our sin because the blood of a lamb, a bull, a goat could never pay the price for my sin. It had to be somebody that could truly represent this helpless sinner but without any sin of his own. Fully God, fully human, Jesus Christ, our substitute on the cross. That through faith in him, we can have the promise of eternal life. If evolution is true, Adam and Eve were mythical creatures. And so we begin to see how that undermines the scriptures and the doctrine of the gospel itself. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, uh, origin of species... Uh, has done more to undermine people's faith and belief in the scriptures than any other single book. And of course, the gospel itself is undermined. And that is why we are passionate about sharing this information.
and just rejoice at whatever opportunity the Lord's, Lord gives us to, to share it. Probably our most powerful, and these are the kind of questions, who made God? I've been getting that a lot from youngsters over the last few years, 11, 12 years old. And it's not given to me as a question. It's given to me as a gotcha. It goes back to the atheist Bertrand Russell. I believe it's part of the life orientation curriculum. Of course, they're not given sound answers to that question. Probably our most powerful resource over the years has been our creation magazine. Uh, four editions every year, full color, no advertising, wonderful, uh, very understandable family articles in every edition, a kiddies section in every edition, and we just get testimony after testimony of how God has used this resource in people's lives. My, my kids, my son and my daughter, uh, in their teens went off into rebellion. Uh, they're in their 30s now. Both of them are again walking with the Lord. And of course, that's God's working in their life and the Holy Spirit working in their life. But I put a great deal of it down to the fact that they were raised knowing that there is a creator God and we're all accountable to our creator. If you would like to subscribe... We're going to pass around some sign-up sheets in a moment. Uh, One-year subscription, I'll give you a, full, a, a back issue to take with you immediately. It's 240 rand for a one-year uh, subscription, so you'll get another four in the mail. Uh, if you take a three-year subscription, I'll give you a free back issue. The double DVD creation, not confusion, there's two DVDs in there, and... If you pick up the phone and dial now for a three-year subscription, uh, I'll also give you this double DVD, um, How Darwin Got It Wrong. Dr. John Sanford, he's a world-renowned geneticist, and uh, very interesting. So that goes along with a three-year subscription as well. So there's a few delays in clicking out. For a few rand more, you can add a digital version that you can share with up to five devices, children, grandchildren, friends. And uh, when the, the sign-up sheets come around, if you'd like a one-year tick there, three years tick there. If you also want the digital version, then tick on the right-hand side there. Tick the corresponding block in the coupon on the right. Give us all of your details and then pull that coupon off and bring it to me at the book table afterwards. I've got card facilities if you need to use that, and, uh, and Rob and Jenny very kindly are going to assist there again, and we'll give you your gifts to take with you. So again, if I could just ask my helpers to come to the front and please pass along those, those sign-up sheets. Just quickly while those are going around, our Creation Answers book, answers the 60 questions we receive most as a ministry over the last 30 years. Who made God? Radiocarbon dating. Uh, all, where did the races come from? All of those questions. We de dealt with a lot of that yesterday. Two uh, PhD biologists, um, a physical chemist and a medical doctor wrote that book. Every Christian home should have one. Er is ook een Afrikaans beschikbaar, uh, antwoorden oor die skepping. 
met die boekie Refuting Evolution, Evolutie, Weerlea is ook in Afrikaans beskikbaar, Dr. Jonathan Safety grew up Jewish, came to know uh, Yeshua HaMashiach as his personal saviour, former New Zealand chess champion, he held Boris Spassky to a draw many years ago, brilliant mind, he works for us full time in the States today. Uh, both of those books and a DVD, and you can also opmaak in a pakkie in Afrikaans for the same price. price. I think it's 280 rand for the pakkie. Um, and then just wonderful other resources. Um, sorry. Evolution's Achilles Heels, nine PhD scientists showing in their fields the tremendous weaknesses of the best arguments for evolution. That's also available as a documentary DVD. 15 PhDs took part in that DVD. Kitty's books, discounted Kitty book packs. Um, let me finish with this. I started by referring to Peter, saying we should equip ourselves to make a defense for the hope we have, the faith we have in Jesus Christ. And you know, we could equip ourselves, we could study this book or our magazine and you could win most arguments that you get into with an evolutionist and totally lose the person. Because this is not about winning arguments, folks. It's about the authority, the trustworthiness of God's word and going on by the grace of God beyond that to talk about the claims of Jesus Christ on people's lives. Because that's obviously the most important claim in the Bible. And so as we share this information, do it with gentleness, with respect, not as a know-it-all. Paul says that knowledge tends to puff up, but love edifies. Love builds up, and that has to be our motive in doing this. God bless you. Lovely to be with you. And... If you want to come and ask me questions later, you're most welcome. I'll be at the book table there and come and look at our resources. Thank you so much, musicians.